that's, that's moving up, right? It used to be there is no step no three. Step yeah, yeah, yeah. Next step is going to be someone just comes on stage. Silence. There is no, step, no step one. one. <laughs> mic drops. <laughs> walk away. <laughs> Boom. Everyone is just... Crowd goes wild. <laughs> So hey everybody, welcome to episode 250 of the Morning Just Code Podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. I am currently in San Jose, California, attending WWC. So this is WWDC Live. And with me today is, as usual, Mark Rubin. Hello. Who's always in San Jose. And I'm also with Alexis Gallagher. Hi. And we have Ricky De La Viega. And where are you normally hailing from? Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Are you originally from Texas, I think you said? Yes, sir. You cool. Did. And Alexis, where are you currently residing? San Francisco. Born and raised. Okay. Yeah, right. Cool. Um, so yeah, we have some Ask MTJC from last week. Let's have a quick look at it. Uh, so I met uh, the real Dave Verver um, at uh, James Dempsey in the Breakpoints where I was playing and he was, he was at the door letting people in. So he explained to me the pronunciation of his name is actually Dutch. Mm. We were talking about German mm-hmm. last week, right? Mm-hmm. And Namrata, who uh, was, we were talking about joining startups as a senior developer discussion we had last week. Mm-hmm. So she rebutted on that. Let me said, uh, of course, there are many other things to consider when looking at these companies apart from money. Ultimately, you want to be in a place where you will be happy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, cool. Um, um, so we had some fact check from last week too. Uh, um, the latest estimates uh, say that there are 2.8 million developers concentrating on Apple's iOS, and that's according to Quora in 2018. We were wondering how many developers there are out there. And uh, Bobby Orr, who I mentioned last week, was actually born in Perry Sound, not played in Perry Sound, and he was a junior with the Oshawa Generals before the before the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Um, so yeah, so we're here to talk about WWDC, obviously since we're live, and uh, just want to put it around the table here. So what uh, what did you think was the most impressive thing you've seen? Well, I think uh, people are probably going to agree on this, but the Swift UI stuff was very impressive. Right. And what was impressive is how uh, much it seems to be a representation of ideas that we see in other language communities mm-hmm. and other stacks. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, people were saying, why doesn't Apple do this? Look how backward they are. And then, whoa, lo and behold, they've actually been working on it for years, <laughs> and it seems pretty good. Um, one thing that's especially interesting to me is how some of the language features that we knew about uh, actually turn out to be very useful for supporting this. So there was, suggests there was this motivation for some of the language development that we weren't aware of. And uh, I think the big question in my mind just looking at it is uh, probably, again, a question a lot of people are having. But this looks really great. It looks really great for simple apps. It, hopefully, it'll be really great for complex apps, too. But I want to, like, see, you know, how that works, like how the interop is and, and what's, like, fundamentally better about it that uh, will make it work better for complicated apps and what's, uh, you know, somewhat better, but it's not going to take away all the problems that are just part of user interface application development. Right. It seems mm-hmm. to be something that will make it easy, easy for people to adopt development and writing for app or Apple platforms, but um, is it is it very close to React, you know, React Native or? Uh, I'm not an authority on that, but I think the basic uh, model of declarative representation of the UI and then strong patterns that enforce a functional like data flow pattern where you get the model and it goes to the view and that's a reliable one-way path. That's not just uh, you know React Native, but it's like React on the web. So it's, a, it's, it's a model view, view model kind of idea? I, whenever model view, view model comes up, I start on a like maybe somewhat uncharitable rant about like people just say model view view model because they're keep they keep like to invent new acronyms but really anyone who was doing MVC correctly was already being fairly orderly about how they would progress state into the views so why do you need a new acronym for it why don't you right. just do it right and then I start feeling like a really cranky curmudgeon <laughs> so I, I would not want to be uh, you know presenting myself as an authority of whether it's MVVM I, I would say that as near as I can tell the essence of the idea which is available in uh, other languages and other kind of uh, user interface patterns as well is please be careful about the 
the state, which which is, represents values mm-hmm. that are going to appear as views, and then have a nice, clean, orderly function that takes your values and emits your views, the stuff on screen. And uh, in some sense, I would say people who are very organized about MVC or reasonably organized around it are already working in that way. Mm-hmm. You can see the functions that move uh, model values into your views, whether you're creating views or updating them. But there's a difference between having a complicated system where it's possible to use it in an orderly way and having a system that makes the guidelines and rails very clear that you that you move along. So when I look at this, it seems to me like it makes things better by making those guidelines and rails really clear. That's sort of a superficial difference, but it's one that makes a big difference. Like Ruby on Rails was so successful partly because it was really articulating a clear opinion on paths, on a style of development and architecture that would work well. Uh, the question in my mind is, uh, what are the benefits besides those ones that come from just making the path clear? Are there other benefits that make the system fundamentally more composable mm-hmm. uh, than what we work with with UIKit? And I don't really know yet because I haven't, I haven't tried, but, uh, but that's the thing that's really on my mind. I can see how this is better in ways that are sort of superficial, but that can be really important, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a way like Swift introduced these supports for functional programming that were kind of superficial, like better syntax for immutability, better support for passing closures around, for defining closures. We do all these things in Objective-C, so in some way the advantages that Swift provided functional programming were kind of superficial, but they were really important superficials. They made it so easy and accessible that it became convenient and people did it. But in the same way, I wonder, are the benefits for user interface application development in Swift UI uh, superficial but very important, or are there also you know, much deeper benefits and kinds of composability that come out of the model? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, but that's that's the question that's really on my mind. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, w- I wonder if some of the simplifications are going to make it harder to do very complicated layout, like right. some of the really crazy collections where views are moving all over the place. Or uh, anytime you want to be able to do that. Yeah, anytime you want to do something yeah. custom, is this going to be you know kind of like storyboards? Like it'll make an easy thing easier, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. the moment you want to do something that's not easy, now you're actually in a world that was more complicated than it was before. Like it makes easy things easy, it makes harder things harder. Or right. is it going to make right. easy things easy and make hard things also easier? Right. Which is what we're all hoping for. But yeah, we'll have to see. I'm trying not to just come off as like curmud- <laughs> curmudgeonly because I haven't really like tried to build that's, anything that's significant. Job, actually, right. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, you know outsource my my curmudgeonliness to you. Like, I mean, I agree with everything Alexis was saying. I think there's uh, you know the language features seeing like a really interesting sort of like way of seeing the progression here and like the things that they were adding over the years through Swift evolution and everything else eventually you know paying off here. And I do think that there is you know really um, encouraging signs seeing Apple taking good ideas from other places and incorporating them into Swift and Xcode. Um, you know the value types and immutability and making that you know first class citizens and trying to integrate them into everything. Uh, where I see the similarity to React and this kind of stuff is in the diffing updates. And they even had I was looking for it in my notes, but it is something about learn once, use everywhere. That's right. very yeah, close to that. that slogan that you know sort of different frameworks are using. I was actually talking to another developer who does Flutter uh, right. for her company and she's like, oh there's so many similarities and she was looking at the Swift UI hashtag on Twitter and there was Flutter developers with like screenshots of Dart and Swift next to each other. So I think that's all you know actually encouraging and sort of promising and um, you know it's definitely appealing to like the web developers with the uh, live previews that are mm-hmm. reloading yeah. as you type or you know you can make um, active and then you know even click around and see the live update. And yeah you could say there's it. there's like three stories here. There's like a tooling story kind of live updates like people are used to who use like CodePen or JavaScript developers. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of programming model story, uh, declarative representations of the UI that's directly passed into the converted to views through pure functions managed by the framework. Um, and then the third aspect is the platform unification story. Like the fact that the Swift UI thing can be used for the watch and iPad 
right. and, yeah. and the phone yeah. and, and tvOS. If they'd only announced just the platform unification story, like if it was kind of the old stuff, but hey, now it works everywhere, we'd probably still feel like that was kind of cool and a mm-hmm. lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. But there's so much in this that it takes a while to unpack it. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've been hearing a lot of things from other people about like it's, it's not really ready for production and that kind of stuff. And I think there's a bit of naysaying happening. People even calling it SUI on online, you know, SUI. Mm. Um, but that's what they said about Swift One. But that <laughs> didn't stop me. <laughs> that's true. I was using that it in my notes. A couple just years. Well, it was ready then. coming at it from a, from a non-computer science background, I mean, like you know, I started off with scripting languages and that kind of stuff, like you know, the PHP's and your file, and even using FileMaker Pro kind of uh, stuff, where you just kind of drag things. Even HyperCard, if you go back that far, and that was very similar. You just sort of put things together, and and you know, kind of if you needed to do something, you had to go and research, like how, what do I do with this mouse click, that kind of stuff, right? But um, I kind of wonder, is it is it like going to introduce programming or iOS development to more people, or even watch it to more people because it's simplified? Yeah, I think you'll. I mean, just look at the tools. It looks so much more accessible, and I think that make a difference. It's funny that you mentioned uh, dynamic programming environments here, though, mm-hmm. because the irony is that one of the most dynamic programming devi- environments for building up user interfaces was Smalltalk. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and Objective C was, you know, originally supposed to kind of yeah. capture the dynamism of Smalltalk while also giving you access to the performance of C. And I think, uh, you know, in much earlier iterations, when Interface Builder uh, was more of a first-class citizen of code, that that uh, promise was closer to being there. But in some, but in some way, now we're like moving away from the stack that originally uh, was motivated by and was, was intended to provide this dynamism. That's, that's another puzzle here, right? Like Swift is a fairly static language compared to Objective-C. And I think traditionally um, dynamic development environments uh, have been based in dynamic languages and people thought that was necessary. Smalltalk and Lisp, classic, uh, like very dynamic languages that also had these very impressive um, development environments, like whether it's the old like Lisp machines or just the fact that you can like hack your, co- hack your text editor while you're writing in it in Emacs and small talk with the object browsers. Um, but now we're seeing with Swift this effort to create a kind of very dynamic development environment, but on top of a static language. So it requires these extra language features. And uh, I hope it works out. I hope it works out. Uh, right, right. But, it, but it, 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 there's some like interesting ironies when you think about the history of it all here. So we've been, you and I have been chatting back and forth on Slack with Jaime on our MTJC Slack. Mm-hmm. And you were asking, because you hadn't seen any of the stuff yet or even the keynote yet, like, what is this? Like, where is the view controller? Where is this stuff hidden? I mean, right. I do have an answer right. for you. Like, apparently it's a home view controller, which is a subclass of UI view controller, which they mentioned yesterday. But so what do you think about this this new paradigm? Maybe a chance to look at it at all? Well, I've looked at it a little bit. I haven't gone deeply into it. Uh, it, it looks it looks pretty interesting. At, at the same time, though, I am happy to see that they haven't completely forgotten about UIKit uh, with some of the new language features. There was a, a real nice talk on these uh, diffable uh, data sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think data flow in, in particular UI. with respect to collection views. That mm-hmm. was real nice. So, so I am glad to see. So just in case this stuff isn't really ready for prime uh, there's at least some attempt to retrofit some of the new language features back to this thing. Uh, uh, that we yeah, I haven't had a chance to see the, the collection view talk, but apparently that they didn't quite go. Like, it, you know, we joked about this a couple of weeks ago and last week about the about there's always some sort of overriding, overarching theme that's in everything. Like everything mm-hmm. has Swift UI in it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that with dark mode, or not dark mode, but we've seen that with the large font type. Everything had to have large font type. This sort of becomes a running theme of almost a gag at WWDC. Actually, um, I would say the theme is, is more combined. Combined. No, so that's where I was going to go. Now, I was going to ask about combined because, to be honest with you, I will be honest with you, I haven't completely wrapped my head around it. I went to a session yesterday which kind of explained it was called Combined Practical Belief and talking about, you know, having a publisher and then having um, a subscriber uh, mm-hmm. as, 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 you know, how the communication goes to, and then send subscriber sensitive view, that kind of stuff. And there was another, uh, I have to look at my notes too, but there was another uh, um, medium for doing that. So um, so what do you what do you think about Combined? What can you say about it? Again, I, I don't know too much about it because I, I was exposed just, you know, 
on Briefly, just yeah. as much as you have. But but my impression is that it's a it's kind of a nice modern way of taking uh, NS notifications and right. KVO, KVO and yeah. kind of all wrapping it up into a nice clean wrapper. Yeah. Uh, and it's clearly the uh, underlying technology to all the bindings that are in Swift UI. Sure, yeah. It's definitely under the hood there. So it looks it looks pretty interesting. Uh, again, need to dig more into it. Yeah. So the session out. I went to yesterday they talked about you know callbacks, uh, closures, mm-hmm. notifications, and KVO being all sort of part of this thing. And they went on. They talked about it quite a bit using Combine in in regular develop regular iOS development. But then they talked about the special handling that Swift UI has because mm. it makes it a lot simpler. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, almost to the point where I don't need to understand it, which kind of scares me in a sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> it scares you in a sense, I'm sure. Mm. <laughs> no surprise there. Um, yeah. So any anything else that you guys saw at the WWC in general? Like, have you, did you get a chance? You were talking about going to some of the other sessions, the metal sessions, and uh, well, uh, AR Kit is close to my heart because we use augmented reality on mm-hmm. the uh, app I work on. Mm-hmm. We sell glasses and we have a virtual try on. You can say the name of the app if you like. Yeah, it's a topology eyewear. Everyone, run out and buy glasses right now. It's in the <laughs> app store. Um, but we use uh, augmented reality try on so you can see how your glasses look where you bought them using augmented reality. And we don't use AR Kit right now, mm-hmm. but I've always wanted to use it and okay. sort of waiting for the moment that uh, we can use it. And I'm still not sure if that moment has arrived because what we do requires a lot of physical precision. They talked a lot about improvements to AR Kit, uh, but I'm not as clear about those. But one thing I thought was very impressive uh, was the uh, AR Kit. I think it was the AR Kit 3 session. Uh, they mentioned in passing, I think, features that were part of the reality kit. They talked about how they make rendering worse in certain ways in order to make the augmented reality better. They didn't describe it that way, but just to give some examples, like if you are uh, moving your device quickly, then you're going to see camera blur out of the real camera. So what they do now is they simulate the camera blur mm. on the rendering. And, you know, you could do a perfect rendering, but if you want it to look like everything else looks because your camera's moving, then you want to simulate motion blur. Um, and then similarly, depth of field effects. So they're simulating things being out of focus on purpose because that's where they would be at that distance. But it goes even beyond that. They simulate uh, camera grain textures. <laughs> so you get grain on your camera if you're in a low light environment and then you've jacked up and the camera is uh, trying to compensate for low light by increasing the sensitivity of the sensor and that produces this characteristic graininess and your AR is going to look fake if the uh, virtual reality content is nice and sharp but where the rest of the world is kind of grainy. So now they're simulating kind of bad uh, camera capture in the rendering and that just struck me as very cool. That's actually uh, an issue that we have right now because a lot of people will take videos of themselves for the glasses that we sell mm-hmm. while they're sitting on their sofa in a dark room even though we've given all these instructions about please go somewhere where right. it's well lit <laughs> and, back, white back yeah, and then you get this augmented reality where it's sort of grainy and dark except the glasses are very nicely lit because we haven't sampled the lighting environment and mm-hmm. simulated that so uh, I was just impressed by all the um, subtleties that they keep adding to the AR experience in order to make it more photorealistic yeah, in the world of art that we call that photorealism but uh, and, uh, and I've been following you know 3D modeling and, and I even did AR back in you know, five, six years ago before it was cool and mm. um, nobody was interested. That was your band, right? Yeah. AR before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a good name for band. That's sort of, I think, the third album. Um, but uh, yeah, the uh, the what I was going to say is and now when I go back and watch old video effects, like even old Star Wars clips and stuff like that, if George Lucas doesn't go in and doctor them, I mean, you can sort of see, see the difference. Now we're all looking at high-res televisions yeah. and you can see the, the effect that you, in, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark was so cool when you were like a kid. Yeah. Mm. And now it's like, oh, look, it like pasted yeah, it on. So, so I mean, it's kind of interesting that they're they're going that far to make it make it realistic, right? Or yeah, realistic. it's a good analogy. I, I kind of uh, it's like when you go and look at old video games now from mm-hmm. 50, ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah, it looks kind of cartoonish and primitive, but then when you were a kid and you were playing, you're like, "This is amazing!" I'm like, you know, I'm in a dungeon. I'm Zelda. And now it's like you're, you're like two hundred pixels. You're you're, you're you're nothing. But at yeah. the time, because you'd never seen better, it was impressive. And I kind of feel like maybe all of augmented reality is, is a little like that right now, where like no one is really nailed like photorealistic. Like you can't tell 
tell if it's real or not. Mm-hmm. But, but everything we do is something we haven't done before, so people are kind of like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. not actually, you know, hitting the mark that you need to for it to be completely it, photorealistic. Tell us the art world where, where, you know, every artist sort of takes the, the next, goes the next step further mm-hmm. along in development of painting or sculpting or whatever. Yeah. And I remember seeing early 3D animations in the 90s. I think Pixar has like a film of their early work. Mm-hmm. And it's very primitive and it's very clean, you know, like shiny, like glossy kind of look. And, and, and no wonder Toy Story came out of that work because Toy Story toys can be clean and shiny. Right. And, so the material models are easier right. to, yeah. to author. Yeah. That's when ray tracing and fongs were just sort of being started working on in, in like public world. Um, but old video games are a good example because yeah. even just the resolution of the television has jumped so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Well, look, my kids all love that. Like my grandkids will play the, play the old retro games because they, they're retro. They look, you know, look how look how choppy this is. The old Atari games. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's as old as you, Grandpa. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's, yeah it's, it's younger than me. Yeah. So what do you, you think of Reality Composer? I haven't seen that one. So I, it's I, like I, this app. So this is maybe another theme of this WWDC is Apple shif- shipping special Mac apps just for developers because they mm-hmm. have the one for Swift Symbols. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, what are, is that what they're called? Yeah, SF, SF, SF Symbols. symbols yeah. SF Symbol. There you go. And uh, then they have this one, Reality Composer, where you can create 3D objects to put into your AR uh, app, but mm-hmm. also just, I mean, I think it's a very, very, barely general purpose, like 3D animation design tool. That makes sense. Thing. Makes sense, right? Because if you say you're a developer and then you want to start doing something with augmented reality, uh, you quickly discover that, oh, wait, there's like a metric ton of design skills and art, and art skills that I need just in order to get started. So having tool, making the tooling easier around creation is essential. Yeah, and things like Maya are just really unapproachable mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for people just getting started. Or even and Blender. So, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is my like, big question. Is like, you know, I think I saw a couple of sessions here where they, they had like, oh, you can use this helicopter. Oh, and it was the Playgrounds talk. And, you know, no, no knock against Jonathan Penn and the team over there, but good friends of mine. But um, the Playgrounds talk, uh, they, they have all these built-in, you know, objects, you can, library of objects. You can, and I've always been bothered as a 3D mm-hmm. artist looking at that stuff because I don't want to use the helicopter that's built into their tool. I want to basically build my own helicopter, which yeah. means i got to now break up Blender and i got to break up Shadow Vision Studio and make my own textures and stuff like that, right? That's that's where the, the rubber meets the road. That's where the hard work is, right? Swift Playgrounds also uh, seems significantly improved mm-hmm. with the support for modules. One, one thing that struck me there is that, you know, people keep wanting to do development on the iPad. Yeah. I have my iPad I right do. here and I and I do <laughs> bits of development on it and uh, it's not Xcode. There's all these ways in which it's limited. Mm-hmm. But then in, in in this one particular way, Swift Playgrounds now provides it's a... It's approaching it, right? Well, in this particular yeah. way with module support, it provides a better experience than Xcode because if you're in Xcode and you want to use Swift modules, um, you know, so far what you've needed to do is go and create a entirely separate Cocoa Touch framework and then sort out the linking so that it's being it, it's linked correctly with your other frameworks and that always seems a bit trickier than it should be. So there's all of this uh, tooling friction that you go through with Xcode in order to use modules in Swift and have be, have there be a meaningful difference in the access specifier between like public and internal. And, and once something grows beyond a certain point, you feel like you want that. You want public and internal and private, mm-hmm. file private, I guess as well. Uh, but it's, but there's this big jump when you go from internal to public because now you feel like you're managing a much more complicated thing. But with the new uh, Swift Playgrounds app, it's, it feels like it's as simple as it should be. Mm-hmm. Just create a new module and put stuff in it. They also did introduce it as a, as a sort of scratch pad for your projects and working things out yeah. on the fly. I mean, to be honest, I've said it many times before. If I, if I didn't need to carry a Mac around, I would. I'd just my iPad for sure. But they're chipping away at that. Yeah. You know, getting closer to where you would start a project on your iPad and then just export at them point mm-hmm. and take it over to Mac. And yeah, I asked about that. Like, is there some kind of one button script that <laughs> someone could write? And they're like, mm, no, you just need to copy and paste the source. So, <laughs> so, you, so you build your nice modularly structured 
structured, uh, you know, libraries <laughs> instead of code in Swift playgrounds, and then you have to go, you know, like an animal, like an animal, like an animal, <laughs> co- copy the source files and redefine like Cocoa Touch frameworks uh, and Xcode. Yeah, yeah. And Swift Package Manager and Xcode. That's oh, Swift that's Package Manager. Huge. We should talk about that too. What do you think about Swift Package Manager? This is the the, the native, you know, um, Apple created comparative to, to um, CocoaPods and Cart- Cartridge. So, so I use it right now for command line tools because at work okay. we have a lot of little tools that we write to help with this routine workflow, like handling customer data around eyewear and some stuff that does fancier operations with um, uh, 3D models. And, mm-hmm. and Swift Package Manager is very nice. Uh, it, it feels it feels like you're programming in other sorts of um, systems where you can put it together uh, mm-hmm. with, te- with text files and, and have it go. I haven't been to the session yet where they talk about its integration with Xcode, but... Yeah, I was going to ask about that because to me it seemed like um, that one advantage they have is because, because it is native iOS, they yeah. can actually get into debugging it and you can sort of... Not, I, don't, I don't know if it's quite true that you can actually see like if, if somebody publishes a, a package man, a package that I want to use in my app. I think that the, if I heard it correctly, it, it kind of has an extra level of being able to inspect what's going on in there without revealing too much. But, you know, for debugging and mm-hmm. crash trash. I would think so. That. Well, just the fact that there's an Apple blessed dependency manager is new, right? So yeah. you weren't using Cocoa Parts and, and you weren't using Carthage or right. then what were you supposed to do to use <laughs> yeah. code that other people wrote and had carefully put on GitHub? Just drag it and, into the app delegate. And assigned it a semantic version. Uh, what were you supposed to do? You're supposed yeah. to like, you know, go and down, you know, what, git clone it and then manually handle everything, which can work. But it's nice that there's we're finally getting there. Yeah, I was doing that back in the day, and I think I think I have a few apps still have like dependencies just brought in manually. Probably. Yeah, if they don't change, then it works. Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Another thing I was pretty excited about is the standalone watch apps. Oh yeah, As someone yeah. who actually developed a watch app in the past year, it, it's it was pretty miserable uh, doing debugging on the phone, you know, getting the, the watch to talk to the phone and talk, all talk to Xcode all at the same time. It's a pretty horrible experience mm-hmm. in general. So hopefully now, you know, Xcode will just be able to talk directly to the watch and deploy directly to the watch and everything should smooth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the... Like I talked to Coach Polinsky about this because he was he's very excited about... He's always wanted to have, like, a standalone watch store, mm-hmm. you know, and have some sort of way of making revenue rather than being attached to a, uh, an iOS app. Are there many people who would use the watch but don't have an iPhone? That's I, a good question. That's a good I question. I thought about it for my father, uh, especially with some of their I think you have features. an iPhone to set it up, though, don't you? Yeah, but you do. And he doesn't have an iPhone, and I'm not going to be able to talk him into that. And right. then I realized that I'm never going to talk him into the watch either if, I, <laughs> if, it, if it requires an iPhone that he won't buy. Well, yeah. I can see it for kids, too. You know, like, oh, yeah. You get a watch before you get a phone, maybe. Because it's smaller? Yeah. And, I mean, they did also rev the iPod Touch. Like, that that's deserves true. That's true. Well, I mean, that's, just because that, that's so a rare. good point. That's a good point. Like, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, as a parent, as a grandparent, yeah. I know it's important that kids now have a cell phone, you know, and then we've talked about how, how you control it. And this is a backstory is that kids are figuring out how to get around the parental controls. Mm. Makes sense. <laughs> but because they're smarter than us, right? They're like velociraptors. Yeah. They're always like testing the yeah. limits of the yeah. age. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, my grandson got a watch, but the one complaint was he wanted to get a watch, but he didn't have an iPhone at the time. So he had to get handed down one of the iPhones that would support a watch. I think mm. it was an iPhone 5. Have you thought that this was just the long con on his part? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Double bank shot. Like, I want the phone. They're not going to give it. I'll ask for the watch. Yeah. Say it's for safety. Well, you know. Boom. He, phone he, in my pocket. Minecraft, five hours a day. <laughs> yeah, he is kind of crafty that way. But yeah, I mean, like, like it's got the walkie-talkie mode. It's got the ability to, to make the emergency call, which is what why you give a kid a phone, right? Yeah. You don't give them a, co- a phone so they can play Minecraft. You give them a phone so you know where they are, and, and they can you can contact them, and they can contact you, right? Uh, within limits, right? Yeah. I do know some, some Android users who have had Watch Envy. Oh, Watch Envy? Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah, Android Wear just isn't at this point. Yeah. So it's uh, almost surprised so me that you th- couldn't 
use an iPad to set one up or, or, or an iPod. You really? You couldn't even use an iPad to set one up? No, no. no. It has to be, has to be what? No, especially after they got cellular, and you're like, why, why can't it set itself up? Mm-hmm. iPad OS. That's another that topic. Is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've always talked about the iPad. I mean, one of our past hosts was, was always on, like, it's got to be, it's got to have its own operating system. Right. Have they gone far enough, really? Well, they've given it its own name, the operating system. <laughs> so I don't know if that exactly, like, well, multi-windows now, right? You can have multiple instances of, you can spin up multiple instances of a window. Signaling intent. So, so here's my question. Here's Why, my... Where's a multi-user uh, login? That's what I want. Right. When you guys were in the keynote or State of the Union and looking at the new uh, gestures that were meant to drive multitasking with multiple apps in the iPad, in your heart, when you saw it, was your first reaction was like, oh, this makes sense now. This is Last clear. year? Last year? This year. Three this, finger, this, four this, finger, this, dragon. This year. Oh. This year. Or, or do you look at it and think like, hmm, it's good that it'll be able to do more things, but I'm going to need to sit down with this to figure it out. Right. Because I feel like everyone has to be having that second reaction. Yeah. And the thing I wonder is, uh, was that also what it was like when people were first introduced to kind of mouse and windows as a metaphor? Because mm-hmm. it seems like there's a deep kind of simplicity and coherence to the idea of you get these boxes on screen, you can move them around. When you launch something, it creates a new one. When you close the thing, the, the big box, it goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is for pointing and these are the things you point at. kind of makes sense. Whereas I yeah. feel like the uh, multitasking model for the iPad, like I use my iPad a lot. I think I use all the multitasking features, the picture in picture, the side side flight away, whatever they call it, the multi-pane. But I, I, I struggle I, I struggle to say it's intuitive. I feel like yeah, I've, I've learned, I've learned how to use it, but I'm not. Reference card now with all the gestures. And Do they have one? I, I don't know. Yeah. Or, or, or remember the days when there used to be these cardboard things that would stick on your keyboard to, mm-hmm. so you could remember all the command uh, sequences? Yeah, just like we need, needed to use to have a, a cheat sheet for keyboard right, right, uh, right. commands. Now we're going to need to have a cheat sheet for gestures. That would be a yeah. shame. But I don't know. I don't want to prejudge it. I haven't I haven't tried it. Just I, I was just slightly dazzled by it when I saw it. Like, whoa, this is like little... Yeah. I, I, one of the things I acquired recently is, is a, a, the 1984 Macintosh manual. It's it's beautiful piece of, like, literature. Mm. Right? Like, right. great shots, cast, you know, um, shy day shots and all that kind of stuff. And, you know... Probably young, well written, too. Young, you know, young uppie, yuppies with their you know, nice shirts on, polo shirts with their Macs and, and their carrying cases, right? right. Giant bags. Their Macs, which cost more cost-adjusted than the new Mac Pro everyone's mm. complaining yeah, exactly, about. exactly, exactly. I think if you do the inflation. <laughs> oh, really? That's a good point. Yeah. Interesting point. Um, but what's cool about it is, about this manual, is it actually has a whole section on how a mouse works, you know, with the lift the mouse up and, and the, 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 the kind of, you know, moving your mouse around and how to, what the desktop metaphor is all about, what the trash can means and where to store files. Because I remember being a Mac user back in the day, not, a, again, not coming out from a computer science point of view and having to learn all this stuff, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And you probably remember the little tutorial that they had with the little birds mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, teaching you how to use mouse. But, yeah. yeah, anyway, it's cool. And they cool were thing. definitely like anti-GUI and windowing people who just wanted the command line and thought, you know, what are you doing with your window? I was one of those mouse? people briefly, but looking back, that was a completely insane proposition. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, it explains kind of our resistance to this new, like, weird world where there are all these sort of unguessable gestures that are getting increasingly complicated and harder yeah. to approach for someone who's not already familiar well, with it. The- well, that's what I wonder, yeah. That's what I was sort of going with SwiftUI, too. There seems to be a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of stuff, substance on the on the top layer, but like what is really going on underneath? That's the part that, that I, I'm feeling we're not going to be able to grok if you're depending where you're coming from. But mm-hmm. I was also a server. I still have servers that I've never actually physically seen. Mm-hmm. They only work on the command line. Yeah, me too. That's the only way I do it with servers. Yeah. But that's because I do that for a living. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I, I don't think that's a sensible um, oh, wait, no, user interface model yeah, yeah. For, for a consumer device, which is what the iPad is intended to work as in addition to its uh, yeah, other maybe capacities. For, maybe if you're living in, in, if you're like a writer and you're just text only kind of thing, right? So what did you think of the new copy-paste gestures? So it's iPad? funny because I was sitting 
sitting next to one of the developers of Ulysses um, mm. uh, as the keynote was going. So I was kind of watching him to see like what, what he would think, because that's a com- very complicated text editor app. Uh, he had a poker face, though, so I think maybe he mm. knew about it ahead of time. Mm. I'm not sure. I, have, I, I couldn't say. I, I, I don't know. It looked like an improvement. It looks like an improvement. I'll see how it feels. It's not discoverable. Like, three-finger pinch, three-finger spread. Uh, as I think I thought at the time, maybe I tweeted it, like, no one is walking around thinking that's a gesture. They've just created it, and I think people can learn it, but it'll take some getting used to. I don't think we've really cracked discoverability for gestures, you know, in, in a general way. Yeah. I, I don't know if there is a general way, but one wishes one wishes there were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess number of fingers is the only differentiator, but I mean, the more they add to each gesture, the more I think it's going to, you get false positives, or it'll be hard to trigger, you know, the three yeah. and four finger ones you miss every now and then. I think and getting doesn't... rid of the magnification loops are probably a good idea. Yeah, it's yeah, part of text selection. selection. Yeah. I mean, that seemed like part of the neat gimmick, but maybe didn't maybe doesn't work as well as you hoped it would. Kind yeah, of. it's like reachability. Did they add that because they realized they had a problem and they couldn't fix it? Yeah. So they came up with a compromise. Yeah. yeah. Well, those original phones were pretty small, so the, yeah. the magnifying glass helped on those. Now, now that we're screens. So I definitely remember screen. not having copy and paste back in the early days. And the force touch to like move your cursor around. Now when I use an iPhone that doesn't have it, it feels broken. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'd, yeah, I heard a rumor that they're getting rid of. Um, I, I heard that too. Yeah, force touch, yeah. which would make me sad because I feel like I use it all the time. Right. Yeah, especially that cursor thing. I mean, that's the only way to position the cursor for me. It's also like, good for all the control center widgets. Like you tap into them and then you get yeah. a deeper level of control, like how bright you want your flashlight mm-hmm. to be. So supposedly they're going to replace a lot of that with this long press, but then will that interfere with that that already use long press or something else? Yeah. Um, we'll does see. that have to do with trying to bring the pencil to the iPhone? Mm. Oh, that's a thought. Mm. Because they're incompatible, right? I mean, the iPad doesn't have four sets. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, too, that they didn't get rid of the original pencil and they brought it back with the, the latest iPad as well. I'm, as a sidebar here, I'm, I'm looking through my notes here, trying to find um, a comment that one of the presenters made, and I can't find it, but I'll, it'll be for follow-up for next week, but mm-hmm. one of them actually said, there is no step two. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's moving up, right? It used to be there is no step no three. Step yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Next yeah. step is going to be someone just comes on stage, silence, there is no step, no step one, one. <laughs> mic drops, <laughs> <and> walk away. <laughs> Boom, everyone is just, crowd goes wild. <laughs> it's the 1984 commercial. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. So speaking of cost, I know I just mentioned that offhand, but I hadn't actually checked it. I just looked it up right now. Cost of the original Macintosh, uh, I'm on a page that's calling it the Macintosh 128K. Which I, I guess is 2400 bucks, right? Yeah, so the original Macintosh was $2,495, equivalent to U.S. $6,000 in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on that Pro. view, the Mac Pro costs as much as the original Macintosh does, like inflation adjusted roughly. Right. They could have landed on the moon with the original Mac, though, so if you think about it. But it came with the screen. Well, that was like the equivalent of an app. Well, there would have been no way to plug it in on the moon, Tim. Like, why would yeah, you bring true. it? That's true. And you'd have all that belt. Yeah, yeah. You know they left their, their moon boots on the moon? Did they? To save weight, yeah. They only came mm-hmm. back in their moon socks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So apparently, like, I'm sure some Smithsonian collector is going to go up to the moon someday just to retrieve the boots, right? Mm-hmm. They did bring them back in subsequent launch. Like, oh. But in the first, the initial, you know, 50th anniversary coming up in July, I want to say 17th, maybe? Don't, you know, don't at me. I hope they didn't leave, like, a bunch of empty Coke cans there and, like, burger they, wrappers. They threw their, they just, threw their just stuff a, out the door. Yeah, they literally, and it's all still sitting there waiting for them to come back. I mean, it's not decaying, right? right. So <laughs> It'll all be on eBay in 50 years. Yeah, exactly, for sure. All right, so uh, what's next? Um, any other thoughts on... Uh, I went to the LMVM, LLVM session. It was really entertaining, the hmm. so high-level debugging stuff. I'm, in, I'm interested in thinking if the DSL features that they've added to Swift for the purpose of Swift UI are going to end up being used in other ways as well. I think that's Ooh. super interesting to So what's DSL for those of us driving at home? Uh, domain-specific language, but okay. basically the idea that you can make the syntax of your language flexible in such a way that uh, when you look at the 
language, it seems to fit right very naturally into some narrower little domain, like defining a tree of things that's going to be HTML or defining a tree of things going to be a view hierarchy. But for instance, I know um, I was doing uh, some hacking around with people who are working on building a machine learning library in Swift for the fast AI uh, machine learning library and coming up with a Swift version of it. And one question that comes up is like, well, what is the most Swifty representation of a machine learning model? Because um, you can imagine these representations that are kind of maybe tree-like or graph-like where you have like layer here, layer here, these layers are stacked up, these layers are made out of other layers. And, uh, you know, DSL that made it uh, easy to sort of elegantly express these structures in the language mm-hmm. is the kind of thing you could use in that domain as well. And there's a lot of interesting potential that people haven't uh, really started thinking about yet about property wrappers and the DSL support. Yeah, the extensibility of that, how you're able to, yeah. you know, use it as library author. Did either of you guys go to the uh, the App Store? What's new in the App Store session? No. no. What, what's new? What's new in the App Store? Well, there's a couple of minor... Well, one of the things is, is TestFlight now. Is, um, let me just go through it, uh, my notes here. We use TestFlight every day, so I'm interested in anything they do to it. Well, what, uh, in TestFlight, the, the, um, you can now... Had, I think they had public links last year where you could you kind of link to a variety of people and just have them join join your teams That's for right. test things, right? That's mm-hmm. something new. Um, test back feed, the feedback now is a little different. Um, if somebody's using your app and they take a screenshot now and they're running a test flight mm-hmm. build of your app, there's a new, in the top of the action sheet is send to developer. Yeah, oh, that's they, good. They, they, they learn from Instabutter. Yeah, and they can gang up multiple, they can crop like a, a region that may be out of alignment or something like that. So mm-hmm. you can have two screenshots, one of the full screen, one of the, they can have multiple screenshots in one package. And then there's a, a space to enter a comment as well to the uh, That's the developer. great. Makes me think Apple might even be using test flight internally. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, I, some questions about whether Apple actually does do, do QA, but um, <laughs> harsh. <laughs> harsh. <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> Unnecessary, Tim. It's a theme. It's a theme. Um, but the uh, the uh, the other thing with, with the, the feedback is that if your app does crash, it actually now shows a dialog box, which lets them, lets the user, like, like you have a crash on a Mac, you now have a crash on the phone, you mm-hmm. can have an opportunity to say to the developer what you were doing. I don't know if it captures anything. I think it captures a crash log and some JSON about what was going on. Like JSON about the metadata about the phone and the environment and battery. You know, Does it do a sysdiagnose? I don't know for sure, but but right. there is there is definitely sends along the crash log with, with the... Because uh, that would be amazing. Because like right now... Um, oh, actually, no, I think it's a packing download from, from the store. Yeah. Okay. So like right now, the new, well, new as of like one or two years ago, logging framework that Apple asks you to use, OS Log. I got very excited about it, but then the more I looked at it, the more I realized it didn't really meet my needs, and I suspect it wouldn't meet the needs of almost anyone doing uh, app development outside of Apple. Because in order to generate the um, awesome holds all sorts of carefully and efficiently collected information data packet that you'd want to generate from users, you need to ask the user to do a sysdiagnose, which yeah. requires a gesture that no one's ever done before, you know, on their phone. And then they have to wait 10 minutes and then go into s- settings and then find like a 300 megabyte file. L- literally, it could be like hundreds of megabytes and find some way to communicate it to you. And when I read that, I was like, well, okay, I'll check in again next year. <laughs> um, so, so when you point out that they've added uh, something like this, where an uh, intuitive gesture that someone's going to do when they actually want to give you feedback, like right. take a sne- snapshot, is automatically prompting for more feedback that mm-hmm. uh, would actually be useful. Mm-hmm. It raises my hopes up. Like if they're if that triggers a sysdiagnose under the hood and then sends that in. Mm-hmm. So they talked about this transporter app. I'm not. It's a Mac app. I'm not sure if it's new this year, but it, apparently it's a new way to, to upload apps. Like we had the application loader before. I think that's existed for a while. Yeah. So and it, it, well, they, they were just talking about. I mean, they were talking about a bunch of things, but the, uh, the how that interface goes. They've added a new build activity view in the in. I was still want to call it ITC, but it's App Store Connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a new build activity view. You can see it has notification type uh, information for you. So activity beyond processing? I think it actually, well, it talks about build processing, so I'm not sure how deep that goes. Because um, right now, you upload something, then it says processing for 30 minutes. Yeah. And then eventually, the build's available for 
test later. I believe there was some some, some sort of uh, progress. Unless it's not, as well. and then you have to upload another one and wait another half yeah. hour. Yeah, there was there was broad progress there. They mentioned that for sure. Are uh, they trying to replace Fastlane for some things? I think so. That was mm. my the impression I got mm. about this. Um, but I got I got that impression in other places too. I think maybe the Xcode debugging stuff. Um, pricing for that crash logger. Did they say does it take one last screenshot or uh, upload crash logger? I don't know. I think well by that time your apps crashed, right? Right. So but you're you're at the home screen or the but the presumably you know, the system could remember the last screenshot. Yeah, well, I saw, I, I'm trying to remember now whether the crash log was... I, I definitely know this, they talked about a zip file that you could download that would have mm-hmm. the, the device metadata as well as the, the actual crash log. Mm-hmm. But I think that might be through Apps or Connect, not through this this mechanism. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. So there must be some way... Possibly, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, follow, we'll have that as a fact check for the next time. Mm-hmm. Um, they just talked about more languages. Um, they pointed out about like, localization. Their, their stat is that 5% of the world speaks English as first language, so all the more reason to localize. 5%? 5%? 5%. That's what their number was. So they've added 37 languages to the apps to the App Store. The actual, the actual App Store itself, the App Store app, mm-hmm. is now App Store on iOS. I don't know if the new app or not, but um, that is now localized into into more languages, including Arab, uh, Arabic and Hebrew. That's really good background noise. <laughs> uh, but Arabic and, and Hebrew for the le- you know the right to left languages. All right, um, yeah, there was some, just more more cool stuff. 24 um, hour dashboard, like so, if you want to know what's happening in your sales, mm-hmm. you know, you, you now like just like on Google, you have this sort of real view. You can see what's happening. Oh, really? 24 hours, yeah. That's, that's kind of cool. All right, so I guess we should uh, move on to uh, our picks. Is that what we want to do? Sure. Yeah, so um, we normally go around the table and ask anybody if they have a pick or technology or uh, something that, that you think is interesting to viewers. So do you have a pick? I actually don't have picks. Of course, that, no surprise <laughs> there whatsoever. You should go first, Ricky, because I, I only learned about this just now. So I oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I got tens of picks. I'll cover everybody. Um, you know, I really liked what Alexis was saying at the beginning about, you know, MVC versus MVVM, and that made me feel a little better because I was a little... You know, just trying to follow everything about view models that they were. It's all presenting. confusion, man. It's all confusion. Don't let anyone tell you the difference. The truth is, there's like way more acronyms than ideas out there, and people don't even explain the ideas right. clearly. So. Right. But one <laughs> that's, thing that's my that's my philosophy. <laughs> Listening to like so many presentations this week talk about you know view controller size and how Swift UI or different things that they have done will make your view controller smaller and you know less massive. And I thought of the massive view controller joke yeah. about uh, the MVC acronym. Um, the focus on performance was really nice to see. I mean, that was really, you know, Craig talked about it a lot in the State of the Union. And for pencil users, there is the speed up from mm-hmm. 20 milliseconds to 9 milliseconds latency. And Was that in the new in the OS? or in Yeah, the... it's just a software. So they oh. didn't have to do anything to hardware. They just, you know, somehow optimized the input uh, mechanism. And they're already sampling it so fast on the new iPad Pros. Mm-hmm. Very close to paper. And I was talking to a guy who's an illustrator, 3D artist, and uh, he's got the fancy Cintiq tablet that you draw on from Wacom or Wacom, however you say it. Um, and I say Wacom, but it's actually Wacom. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> potato, potato. Yeah. Um, but you know that it's really cool to see them focusing on that stuff, and you know it really matters. And I just went to the um, optimizing file storage talk, and they had some really interesting mm-hmm. sort of stats about like how expensive it is to like access a plist or XML or JSON file, and you know how you might want to be using core data instead. And then a bunch of tips about if you do think that you can just do SQLite yourself, here's what you should be doing. These are things that Core Data does for you. So, you know, it's nice to see Apple sort of like taking those lessons to heart and integrating them into the operating system that we all use every day and wait 
for things to finish on all the time. Or you can just buy a macro and everything will go really fast. You know, um, with your 1.5. <laughs> my comment, I think I mentioned to you about the, the macro. Me, I, I, halfway through the description of the macro, I thought this was like, a, I think somebody said an SNL sketch or like an, an mm-hmm. Onion report. Yeah. It just seemed like, let's have four GPUs because we can. Right. The six displays and, you know, John Gruber in his live talk show was talking about when they said 1.5 terabytes of RAM, he turned to the guy next to him and he's like, hard drive? And he's like, no, 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 RAM. <laughs> so it's getting really, you know, I mean, it's just a crazy world we live in. And then in just a bunch of sessions that I thought were really amazing. Um, you know, the Tim had already mentioned the data flow through SwiftUI, which was uh, 226. Um, there are, we talked about Combine and there's two different Combine. Um, right. Introducing Combine and Advances in Foundation, 711, and uh, Combine in Practice, 721. Um, so know, it seems like you like Combine. <laughs> well, I didn't go, I was, both of those conflicted with other sessions. I went to a lot of the Swift UI ones um, just because it's a new thing. And So uh, I can throw in about Combine because I went to the first session, I think it was, I think it was one of the Swift UI sessions early in the week, like or whatever day the Combine was, I guess Wednesday. And um, I, I hadn't even heard about it. And then all of a sudden it just tweaked to me that there were like two other sessions on it. And so I texted my partner to go to the other one So because I want, had a conflict. She went to that one and I went to the, the one afterwards. And because all of a sudden it just, the light went on that this Combine thing was something important to, mm-hmm. to sort mm-hmm. of get your head around, right? So, yeah. so definitely is something to, to Yeah, and I think it was on. Casey Liss on ATP was talking about, you know, it's basically RS, RX Swift, you know. Yeah, that's what I got the, the idea, yeah. Brought into uh, the, you know, standard library, so that's really exciting. Um, I think, uh, you know, just uh, the sign-in with Apple is a big deal. Oh, yeah. That's, yep. that's oh, really, yep. and what a, like, flexing of muscle. Yeah. Because if I understand the policy around it, if your app uses sign-in with Facebook or sign-in with Twitter, then you right. are obliged <laughs> to use sign-in with Apple. Yeah. Which yeah, is eventually, definitely one way to drive adoption. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they have the, you know, random email address that you can use to sort of control spam and tracking, which is really nice. There was a bunch of advances in, like, password autofill. There was a really great session about, like, what's new in Safari authentication and, you know, something else. Um, but they talked about sign-in with Apple and, um, you know, just all those different things. Uh, it works in Mac apps now, mm-hmm. apparently, and mm. the password autofill as well. If you bring your iPad app to the Mac, you'll get password autofill and cool. keychain integration. All right, my, my pick Android and, and uh, Windows. Yeah. So my pick is I, I went to the education meetup and, and uh, education is something I'm always interested in. Um, there was a couple of cool things. I met a gentleman who's the developer's name is Winston Chen. He makes an app called Voice Dream Scanner and it basically, you can take a phone or an iPad and you can scan a piece of text document and it'll convert it into like does OCR on the fly on the machine using machine learning and uh, you can then have it read that text to you or follow along as, as you're reading kind of thing so it's really good for and it also it, it um you can do that with voiceover but i asked him about that because i i often want to read a book but i'm walking down the street or something right so i'll put on voiceover and do the two-finger drag and he was showing me that it's a little bit better than than uh than voiceover one of the annoying things about voiceover is you have to lock your phone because if you or you turn your phone it says landscape and oh, it geez. stops reading <laughs> <laughs> so i wonder how you know uh, people who need accessible uh, reading feel about that that was cool and then there was a bunch of other things so they, they were doing a demo of the classroom kit which we talked about in the past mm-hmm. and st- schoolbook app schoolbook app is a, is an app that runs on the iPad and they can as- they can send assignments to kids like especially kindergarten kids who don't pre-k who don't know, really know how to go to page 37 and start exercise number one you can actually create a deep link in in an app that's written for for classroom or yeah classroom school with class kit if it has class kit built in then um, they can create a deep link on the fly and just send that out to people so they, they can load up any app but specifically these ones so that's kind of a handy handy tool so I got to see that happen live and then just a, sort of a pet peeve 
for me is a class kit allow or this whole classroom metaphor that they have allows you to have multi users on a single iPad. Hmm. Where is that for the rest of us? Mm. That would be great. Well, then <laughs> then uh, everyone in the family wouldn't have a separate iPad though. So that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah, I guess. I guess. But it landed on TBOS though. Now. Oh, we had yes, right. We have multi-user uh, like Netflix kind of support, right? Right. Yeah, it works like Hulu or. And I hope it's not as annoying where it asks you every time. You're like, it's still me. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, well, make me switch. You know, like don't yeah. don't make me answer it every time I open the app. Well, maybe we can wave our, our WWC badge in front of it. It'll recognize us. Yeah. All right. I wonder if you'll be able to so my at com- some point use your iPhone base ID to automatically log into. There the you TV go. OS. Hired. Okay. Yeah. I won't pick anything related to Swift UI because I think it's obvious we're all going to look at it because it's like so cool and yeah. so, so new. So it's yeah. it's redundant. Pointed out. I thought the What's New in Swift session was good for going into a little depth on some of the language features that enable it. Um, I think uh, one pick, which I guess is slightly outside the conference, is actually the Tri Swift conference, which oh, is happening today. just down the block yeah. today. I'm hoping to spend a good chunk of the afternoon there. They have a bunch of people there who will walk you through how you could make contributions to the compiler or to the core libraries. And I've always wanted to do that, and I've never gotten around to it. So I, I'm really looking forward to that. I know the Swift for ten, with TensorFlow team is there, and I've done some work with that. So that's my pick. And I, cause I think they're also going to put videos online if you're interested in learning more about how the uh, parts of the language are built. I think they make it accessible. Cool. Where is that being held? Uh, so we are right, right next to the Hilton Marriott. The, mm-hmm. uh, the Marriott. The Marriott. Marriott yep. San Jose. The, yep. the Hilton San Jose is just on the other side the... of the convention center, and that's yep. where that's happening. Right okay. Now. Also, shout out to AltConf. I talked to another first-time WWDC person who's having trouble like talking to people here, but then went over to AltConf and said it was very friendly and had a wonderful wow. time. So yeah, well, that's, that's strange. Way to go. So I guess that's it for another week. So let's go around. Let's go around the table and, and see what's up with people. So Mark, if people want to try and get in touch with you, how do they do that? I'm at markr at smapsoft.com. All right. And Alexis, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, best way is at Alexis Gallagher on Twitter. I do have an email address, but I'm now become famous for being pretty bad at responding to it. So just reach <laughs> out to me on Twitter. I'm easy to find. Okay. And so what about uh, where do you work and ah, are um, you hiring? I am actually. It's Apology Eyewear. We uh, have stuff coming up that I can't quite announce. It's going to require building a lot of new tech for iPad. Uh, and for doing more things with eyewear that no one has done before. So if, you're, if you are interested in iOS application development, um, if you are interested in augmented reality, if you are interested uh, actually being used in retail for real, if you're interested in software that talks to hardware, because we manufacture custom glasses from scratch based on measurements we take of your face, then please reach out to me because I'm hiring like crazy now. Uh, I'm just very lazy about talking to recruiters. So okay, cool. <laughs> so I, my hiring like crazy is really wanting to hire unless I need to put myself out there, but please just reach out to me. Sure. Are okay. those topology glasses you're wearing now? They are topology apology glasses I'm wearing right now. Very nice. Wow. Can't you great. tell by, by, by their stylishness yeah, and yeah. perfect fit? They sound very stylish. It yeah. is. We are the most We are the most iPhone, iOS technology-enabled eyewear in the world right now. That's 100% true. So check it out if you're curious. Apology eyewear. Very, very nice. Um, right, so Ricky? Yeah, for those of you driving home, uh, real-time follow-up. What's new in authentication? Safari and WebKit is session number 504, featuring uh, my friend Ricky Mondello, who's a fantastic person and developer. Um, You've always so, on Twitter, it's my full name, but my website is probably easier. It's rdela.com, like Roger Delta Echo Lima Alpha.com. Were you in the Delta Force? Is that why you felt that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I thought so. I thought so, man. Cool. Yeah, it's a secret. All right, once again, my name is Timitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine is the best way to get a hold of me. So until next week, we'll say bye bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm.
You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at MTJC underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash MTJC. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.